Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP, where we discuss trends in architectural and interior design and the competing priorities or tensions that arise from integrating new ideas into existing organizations, enterprises, and institutions. This episode, Preparing Future Nurses Through Innovative Design, we are joined by Dr. Beth Schultz, Director of Manchester University's Nursing Program, as well as lead architect Kevin Denman and architect Jessica Sears, both on BHDP's higher education team. One of the many professions the COVID-19 pandemic thrust into the spotlight, nursing has experienced increasing difficulty in attracting and retaining talent. Following an enlightening roundtable discussion with nursing educators at independent colleges across the U.S., our guests dive into the impact education can have on a future nurse's success and longevity in the profession. I am your host, Brian Trainer, Senior Strategist for BHDP, and I'll let our guests introduce themselves further. Beth, who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Beth Schultz. I'm the Director of the Nursing Program at Manchester University in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we're a brand new nursing program, just admitting our first students this fall, but I've been a part of nursing education for many, many years. I was about to say, brand new program, but you are not brand new to this world at all. Right. right. And recently, Dr. Schultz, is that correct? Is it- well, actually, Dr. Doctor. So I have a <laughs> doctorate in nursing practice, and I just finished a PhD in nursing research. Do you get to put a little exponent above that, like Dr. Squared? Or- <laughs> not that I know of, but it'd be a great idea. I like it. Thank you very much. Jessica, who are you and what do you do? I'm Jessica Sears and I'm a project architect at BHDP working on the higher education team, but I actually have a background in healthcare design. Very good. And you were part of the roundtable as well, correct? I was. I helped facilitate the roundtable and get Beth and others' opinions about what's going on in private university nursing education. Fantastic. Thank you, Jessica. And Kevin, welcome. Who are you and what do you do? I'm Kevin Denman. I'm with BHDP Architecture as well. I am a healthcare planner and programmer on our education team, and I help clients like Beth plan and design their new facilities. So it sounds like we've got the right group to talk about this today. This all started with a roundtable. Can you tell me more about the roundtable? So we invited independent colleges from across the nation to join us in a discussion about healthcare education, and there was eight institutions there. Beth's institution was one of them, Manchester, that that joined us. And we focused around talking about what is the current tensions, talked a little bit about how COVID is affecting that, as well as this historical trend about the shortages in nurses. It's driven both by the trend in demographics, that we need more nurses, the trend in the nursing are retiring at a larger rate, over the next couple of years, and then the COVID impact that just amplified that across the industry. Yeah, I think due to COVID, I became more aware of nursing than I ever had before. You know, I didn't understand all the nuances and complexities involved with like retention and such. Just one other point that we talked about during the nursing roundtable was what makes a successful nursing student in professional practice and how are the colleges preparing to put successful nurses out into the practice. I agree, Jessica. That's a challenge for us, how to prepare them adequately to really handle the stress and the, you know, demands of the profession once they get in the hospital. It's got to be a partnership between the facilities and the schools, and it's not always easy to find that magic combination of preparation. 
Going into this roundtable, though, was there any research that we had conducted just set the table for what you were going to talk about? Brian, that's a great question. So we've been doing research outside of the roundtable to learn about what makes a successful nurse from the professional practice side. So I've been talking to nurses who've been in the field for a varying amount of time and what they're seeing new nurses do really well and what they tend to struggle with and how if they could tell an educator what they wish nurses knew so that we can take that back to our clients, inform them on either architectural implications that we could help them with those strategies or just things from their their learnings that they could imply to the classroom pieces of it. I want to get your perception of the roundtable, Beth, as a participant. I know one of the key things that came out, we talked about attracting and retaining nurses. There was a difficulty in maintaining that in the profession. What are programs like yours doing to rise and meet this demand? And how can the design of space support that? Because ultimately, that's what we do. But then there's that human side of it, too. Attraction of employees, that's kind of multifaceted. Part of it is nursing excellence. So there's something called magnet status. If a hospital attains magnet status, that's an indication of nursing excellence. So that means that nursing has a voice, which is really important. But I think a step further than that is making sure once a facility obtains magnet status, they're able to retain it and that they're really walking the walk and doing the things that they said they were going to do, which really is giving nursing a voice. That's really important. Retention is pulled into that as well, because once the nurses get there, they need to see that they're valued. I was reading Show Me Your Stethoscope Facebook page recently, and people were talking about retention and why nurses are leaving the profession, and that's young nurses and old nurses. One of the respondents said, you know, a lot of times nurses feel like cannon fodder. I had never heard that before. I had to look up that term, and it really just means you're expendable in a war. And right now, nurses feel like they're, you know, in the kind of the middle of a war with the pandemic. Making sure that nurses feel valued and appreciated is important for retention. And how can I prepare somebody for that? That's a piece that I don't have control over. I can prepare the student to provide patient care, but I can't control what's happening in the facility. I can work on things like how to handle stress how to problem solve, how to collaborate, all those things that are important, but I can't help it if they don't feel valued when they get there and feel like they're important. Beth, you know, that's great. And I know, um, you know, we had talked to students during COVID and the stresses that was putting on them to finish their education. We help our educators provide those student service spaces for the students to overcome those challenges. I think working with the practice partners, they don't have that setup. So once the student leaves the educational environment and goes into the professional environment, some of that support system drops away. And I can see that being a real challenge for those new nurses. It's interesting, though, that, Beth, you said some of your training, you can help them manage stress. That's not something you hear about in a normal curriculum, but it is really critical, and especially now when that stress is ongoing. We've hit a level of stress that you just can't push through sometimes, and it it requires a certain kind of stress management. So that seems to be really helpful. Kevin, when you hear what Beth was talking about, too, with the challenges that they have, what does that make you think of when you think of design? Like, How do you help a client like Beth and Manchester University 
prepare students as best as possible. That's a great point, Brian. I mean, I think, again, the, the thing we're providing in the educational world is the simulation of that, right? So we try to build our simulation centers almost like a med surge hospital floor so that you can simulate some of that intensity that will be there. Then obviously the other piece of education is they're going out and doing their proctors and their clinicals in those spaces and then bringing them back and doing the debrief. So providing those one-on-one -on -one spaces to work through with the faculty and the staff to understand what they're seeing in the real world. But again, like Beth said, the challenge sometimes is how do you make that transition fully to the professional side? To just to add to what Kevin was saying, what I'm hearing in my research is the realistic learning experiences where they have multiple patients and have to balance tends to be where they see the best skill development because the nurses come out and they know how to start an IV or place a vent, but having to do that on multiple patients and prioritize and know who they have to help them in the workplace. So knowing that it's not just them on an island trying to figure it out, that they have other doctors and nutritionists and social workers and different fields of study that aren't nursing education that are related hospital professions and how those interdisciplinary interactions occur. Those points are really important. They're all points that I wrote down to talk about today. In the learning environment, we have to simulate all those things. We might have a simulation area that has a desk. So that would be like the front desk where the unit secretary sits, and we have somebody there. We need an actual call system so that if the patient pushes a button, then there's somebody at the desk that responds. You're right, we need a group of patients. We need six or eight simulation rooms and maybe put one or two students there, but also have the support staff there. So is there somebody from the lab that you have to call? Do you have a nursing assistant that's helping you today? Do we have physical therapy students we could consult? And I think part of it is getting the students comfortable collaborating and making phone calls. The first time a student has to call a physician is a really scary time. It shouldn't be that way when they graduate. We should get over those humps in nursing education. We should be used to telehealth. We should have a iPad on a stick that we bring into the room, either to consult a physician or even an interpreter. A lot of times interpreter services are used remotely. You know, having a place where you go to get supplies and maybe sometimes the supplies aren't there, so what do you do? Because in nursing school, we want to make it, I don't want to say easy, but we want to facilitate that learning as well as we can. The frustrations of nursing are you don't have the equipment that you need sometimes. You've got to call central supply. You've got to call the pharmacy. Pulling those kind of things into the learning environment so that the students can experience that. Thank you, Beth. I'll share a story uh, for one of our clients. It was really important for them to have the code blue lights in the simulation center. It was both to the students aware of the, just the noise and the light so that you need to react in a team environment when you hear that. And they would also use it so there might be just a regular patient interaction going on in the room down the hall, but you have a code blue down the hall. You know, that nurse that's working with that patient needs to stay focused on that patient and not be distracted by the noise and other things happening on the floor. Absolutely. And we need to not only have simulators, but we need to have actual standardized patients. I just 
participated or actually observed a simulation last week for a course that I completed in PhD. They're getting ready to do the simulation and they had two patients that they brought in that were not simulators. You know, they were standardized patients. So interesting because they were so good at what they were doing. And they got the students so flustered. The first group were PhD students, but the second group were undergraduate students that really didn't know what to do when the person wouldn't let up on them. So I thought that was such a great learning experience. What, what do you mean when you say standardized patient? Was it an actual patient? It's an actor, somebody okay. that they brief that actually gets paid for it. And they come in and work through different scenarios. So a lot of times it's the same scenario that they build on. So the person really gets to know that character that they're playing, per se. So interesting. They don't have any problem getting the students kind of flustered. Yeah, that live simulation seems to be super critical. Right. And, you know, of course, we're not doing procedures on them. We're not starting IVs or giving injections. We simulate that part. But that part, to me, is the easy part of nursing. You can start an IV, give medication. But the difficult part is when the patient starts saying things or doing things that make you feel uncomfortable, that's really when you need those higher level skills to work through the situation. I just wanted to add, it's, it's really interesting that you talk about simulated patients because I think it's a great learning experience. One of the stories I heard from one of the nurses that I interviewed was they had some fresh out of school nurses that forget that their patients are people and they use the patient as their table because in school, they don't have to think about the sterile field and where you can put whatever piece of equipment you're using when you're not using it. So having an actual person there that you have to manage and to be conscious of can only improve their skills in the profession when they get out. Absolutely. If you have a patient that's flailing their arms, you certainly, you know, wouldn't even think about putting a sterile field on their chest. So that's a great point. Beth, you mentioned something else that has been a real challenge for your the educators, right? Which is the interdisciplinary simulation where you're a new nursing program and how do you find those other programs to bring together so that you can train and simulate the full experience working with doctors? working with the pharmacists and all of that? Great question. So we already have a really strong interprofessional collaboration education program here at Manchester. We have a pharmacy program. They're part of a consortium in Fort Wayne. We have several other universities here. So we're lucky enough to have physical therapy, nursing, pharmacy, physician's assistant, nurse practitioners. So we have a lot of different programs. One thing that I think we could do better would be to reach out to the community college because oftentimes they have programs like nursing assistant or PT assistant, unit secretary. So I think that it would be great to be able to pull them in and say, can we collaborate one day and have students that really are from a variety of services come together? The interprofessional center we did for the University of Toledo, we created that emergency operating facility. And then because they're a medical college, they brought everyone together and did a full simulation. That's what they do there. And it's the simulation is not about procedures, like you said earlier, Beth. It was about the ability of the different people in the room to act as a team during an emergency, during an event with the patient. How does the doctor and the nurse interact with the anesthesiologist in the room live during a critical situation? So it's a very unique facility and it's been very successful. 
that sounds like a great opportunity. And I think when you have people from so many different disciplines together, it just makes everybody more comfortable with the situation. And that's important before you actually get into a code situation. We talked about attracting and retaining nurses in the profession. I think specifically about like attracting nurses to the profession through education. But similarly, there's an issue with attracting and retaining professors. Is there like space, features, or amenities that could help draw professors to nursing education? Currently, what we're doing is just, you know, providing as many spaces within the facilities for the faculty to interact with the students in different settings to really make it a vibrant learning environment. And then also, you know, similarly, just providing a little bit of relief space for the staff that's separate from the students so that they're kind of giving all the students the same. They need that recharge time. So we try to provide that space within the facility for them from a planning. And I know, Beth, you and I talked about this before and how important you find it to be doing both practicing and educating. Yeah, because I was curious is why is it difficult to find nursing professors specifically? That's really a multifaceted question because most nurses that are working in the hospital don't have the degree that they would need to teach. In order to teach, you need a master's degree. You don't need a master's degree to be a bedside nurse. So we're asking people to go back, spend money, get an additional degree, and in some instances, not making any more money. The schedule is definitely better, different rewards, but it does take an investment that you you may not recoup financially exactly. You may, you may not, depending on where you teach. Part of it is wanting to be the person who makes a difference in the profession through education. I came from an institution that we supported nurses in maintaining their practice, whether they were advanced practice nurse or a bedside nurse. They were allowed one day a week to practice, which was wonderful. We really encouraged that. You know, an advanced practice nurse, somebody who's a nurse practitioner, needs to maintain a practice because they've got to maintain a license. And to do that, they've got to be practicing. So making sure that they can do that. Space-wise, as I was listening to Kevin talk, I think that creating space, and I don't know what it would look like, that really promotes collaboration and also creativity and sometimes just space to think. And I don't know that always the space to think is an office with a desk in it. I have a cousin that worked for Microsoft and I went to his building. Man, it didn't look anything like mine. There was a game room there. I've been to places where they have, you know, a treadmill with a desk. So I think that we don't all have the same needs when it comes to creative thinking and space to really work. That's a great point. BHTP, right? We do more than just education. So we take our workplace, which is Brian's a part of that team, and he's one of our strategists, and we work with them to develop that work side place of our campuses, right? So it's really key to develop, the, like you said, the variety of spaces. Well, there's research around play and creativity. So, you know, that game room you saw at Microsoft, there's something about, you know, letting that higher brain function relax for a while. Because even though you're not focused on the problem, your brain's still figuring it out in the background. So sometimes you have to distract yourself on purpose to be able to solve problems. So yeah, sometimes creativity requires a little bit of distraction, but the right kind of focused creative distraction. 
you had mentioned that you believe that there's a benefit to remaining in active practice while teaching. What is the benefit and what does that look like, Beth, if you don't mind? I've been here about two years, but until then, I still worked in the hospital pretty much every week. And I think it's important not to lose touch with nurses that are still practicing and being one yourself and remembering what it feels like to have a good day and a bad day. The students from our university sometimes would be on the floor. So then they would see me in that role. You know, I wasn't just an administrator. I was a nurse on the floor taking care of patients. And I've had a student with me that day from my university. I would say, today, I'm a nurse on the floor taking care of the patients. You know, I'm not the chair of the undergraduate nursing program. I have a different hat on today. And you're going to see me in a different light today. I think that's important. The faculty can come back and talk to the students about what they've experienced. It also let me see where the gaps were in education. I not only had students from my university, but from other schools too. And so I could see where their wheels weren't turning in the right way or that they weren't prioritizing well. And that's important too, because we see those students from a different perspective. Yeah, that's really helpful. Then you have a, a wider view of everything and it doesn't turn myopic on you. You, you see the problems from a couple different points of view, right? Right. And, you know, nursing and healthcare is always changing. I was going to say, Beth, I was just curious with the shortage of professors, is there a way to create a hybrid model for nurses where they are active in the profession, maybe more than one day a week, but also teaching? That would be great if we could partner with facilities. You know, they do have a nursing shortage, so I understand if they're not willing to really share, but it would help us to kind of keep in line with what the policies and procedures are of a facility, you know, the cutting edge of what's happening. Yeah, it seems like there's a potential for symbiosis there, you know, where you can really help each other out. What seems really interesting about that idea, Beth, is we've talked a little bit about clinicals in the past and how those placements are really hard and there's not enough spots for all the students and that's limiting admission into nursing school. If we could get hospital providers to also be teachers, would that help alleviate some of that stress? It may. Recently, we just hired a simulation coordinator for Manchester and his dream would be to have a simulation hospital. So take a small facility and turn it into a simulation hospital. Maybe we do have standardized patients in there and some simulators in there. It could be used for a lot of different things. It'd be great to be able to collaborate not only with the healthcare facilities, but other schools. But getting all those people in the same room, even in the same room at the same time, would be a challenge. So Jessica, through your research and like, like conversations with nurses, had you identified anything that could help students navigate through their educational careers? That's a really complicated question. Um, You're and welcome. <laughs> and I think Beth said it really well during the roundtable. There are so many different ways of being a nurse and different paths you can take once you're in the profession that it's really hard to explain it to a college student who figured out they wanted to do nursing but hasn't figured out what of nursing they want to do and then try to explain that to anybody who's not in nursing. So if you can't explain it to each other, how do you explain it to a student who doesn't know what the options are? Um, Absolutely, Jessica. Part of the challenge that we're up against is 
if you go to the doctor's office and the person that takes your history before the physician or the nurse practitioner comes in, sometimes you call that person the nurse and they're not a nurse. You know, they may be a medical assistant, which is a great profession as well, but they're not nurses. And so making sure that we know who the nurses are is important. We're doing a better job of that in the hospital. We have badges that go under our badges that say RN or CNA or PCT, but really defining that role. You're right, it's a challenge. I was going to say there's also a challenge getting nurses to stay in particular roles. So they see a a growth path and that might not be the need of the hospital, but that's where the money is or where they want to specialize. What I heard a lot in my research is that they had a job lined up before they even graduated. They got in and they went back to school to, to make that growth curve work in their favor. Kind of knowing what they wanted to do and trying to get there might not be staying in the entry level type roles. It was interesting during the round table, right? So we have the deans and the chairs of nursing programs there. And they were all sort of in general agreement, right, Beth, that uh, if we can't, amongst that group, really define and clearly delineate the nursing profession, how do we expect to instill that in our students? And so they all kind of agree that needs to be one of the focuses going forward that we define the nursing profession, the voice of the nurse. It was a great way to phrase it in the profession. So how do they fit in there and how does nursing affect cost, care, and the overall window of healthcare? Then obviously then we can do better communicating that to students and prospective students. Absolutely. Teaching nurses how to speak up effectively and administration how to listen. Those are challenges, and we can start facilitating that in education. If we have a really good on-campus simulation experience, we can teach the nurses how to speak up. We can actually simulate people that respond appropriately and people that respond inappropriately. You always have that one physician that you call in the middle of the night who's not so nice to you, and how do you respond to that person? It's interesting because if I make a parallel, I was at a facilities management conference, And there were a couple of different speakers that were offering topics about how to have a successful conversation with the C-suite. You know, so it's like, how do you get in front of important people to talk about important things that may not have noticed you before? And it sounds like part of what you're doing, because you said that at the beginning, just having nurses be recognized and giving them a voice and making sure that they're speaking to the right people and how to speak to the right people, you know, effectively. That sounds like a pretty pressing topic right now. In terms of giving nurses a voice, part of what Beth is talking about is being able to advocate for your patient. So if you have all the right information and the doctor's not listening to you, how do you make them hear you and make them do what's right for your patient, that your patient is a person that you care about and getting them to understand all of the pieces and parts of that? That's something we hear in research over and over again. Yeah, I know I experienced that through my daughter. You know, she's has a lot of medical needs. Through the autism center, we actually saw the registered nurse more than we saw the doctor. We saw the doctor once a year, but we saw the registered nerd multiple times. So she, like, she was the expert of the person and that was valuable to us. So we knew who to trust. We were more (laughs) inclined to listen to the registered nurse. Were there other takeaways from the round table? Maybe that surprise you like Kevin you brought up one about the need for clear definition for me the other thing on the round table was 
I don't know if it was a surprise, but I guess it was affirmation was that in general, that all of the variety of institutions that we had on there see the same general challenges, but also the same general opportunities that there is in nursing education. The, the demand is there, and it's just that we all need to rise to the challenge. And for me as a, a designer, it's how do I help them get to provide the space to rise to this challenge and provide quality education to fulfill the needs that are out there. I think both of those points are great. I would say this kind of echo the same thing. I think that we don't share enough to say this is what's working and then collaborate enough. Clinical space is a universal problem. And sometimes we're a small institution. We don't have a lot of students. We all know that clinical space is an issue. But when somebody down the road doubles their class and we have already having problems getting clinical you know, you're not thinking about other people and the collaboration and the needs of your peer schools. I think it's important for even sometimes the facilities to step in and say, hey, you know, we're all in this together. That's a great point, Beth. And actually, during the roundtable, we had one participant that was on the practice side. So she was a leader for a hospital system in the West. And she noted like that one of the things they've done is brought all of their clinicals into one funnel so that it's not per hospital. It all comes through a central sort of scheduling to help negotiate that across the board. But I, the great takeaway that I got from her was she just admitted and she didn't have the answer, but there does need to be this sort of reset and that the healthcare practice partners look at a new relationship. She called it 2.0. What is that? Because they can't just sit there and demand we need more nurses, but not step up and help the educators create them. One other thing that I thought was really interesting from the roundtable was we talked a little bit about the differences between the large public universities and our roundtable focused on some of the smaller private universities that we have and how there's not a big competition between those two. The smaller universities have a unique strategy to attract the students to their university through different types of programs and distinguishing quality over just getting a bunch of nurses into their program, doing a really smart job of recruiting the right people. And it can feel a little more personal in a smaller university, right? Maybe there's a stronger relationship with the instructor that you might not have, but that's not to say it's not possible at a larger university. Well, there's some direct admission programs that instead of trying to get into university and then apply to nursing, that they're automatically accepted into the nursing program when they get accepted to the school. Right, Jessica, that's what we're doing. We have high school seniors that can apply and they apply to the university, they're accepted, then they apply to nursing. We have an interview process and some other pieces. We're committed to them. So if we accept them into nursing, they're nursing students, they don't finish a year or two and then compete with their classmates. We'll mentor them. They'll be nursing students unless they, you know, totally bomb and, you know, their GPA drops. I think the systems that we use for nursing admissions help. We are just having our first class, as I said at the beginning. We have quite a few students coming to us. We only have a couple, I think, from Indiana. So Florida, Colorado, California we're going to have a really nice mix. That's pretty exciting too, since this is your first class coming through a brand new program. 
and to have a little geographic diversity right away. We're going to have not only geographic diversity, but just diversity in the class itself. We're very excited about that. Very cool. The general consensus with everyone was going to grow and expand. Is there a concern that we've run out of pool of suitable applicants for nursing education? I don't see that happening anytime soon. I'm sure that most nursing programs, well, I know that they get more qualified applicants than they can admit. There are so many avenues once you get a degree in nursing that you can take. I mean, it's just really a wide open field and there's a varied opportunities. If you get burned out doing one thing in nursing, then you try something else. If you're in the hospital and you've worked critical care for a while and you think, you know, I don't really want to work critical care anymore. I need a break. You know, go to home health care for a little while. Go to outpatient surgery for a little while. And there are just so many things. I don't, I don't see that we'll have a nursing applicant shortage. I think we'll still have the challenges of enough faculty, enough clinical space. That will be the hard stop. Thank you. That's great to hear, you know, as someone who could never be a nurse because I fainted the sign of blood. But, you know, I try to do my part by designing the facility for you all. But that's wonderful to hear. We're very excited about the prospect of our new facility. I can tell you that. That's very good. Any final thoughts, Jessica? Anything you wish you'd said? I don't have any final thoughts, but I just wanted to thank Beth for participating and being part of our roundtable and part of this discussion. Great. Well, Beth, I'll let you have the final thought then. Anything else you'd like to share? I would just say that good design and functionality is critical to nursing education. We need to simulate as much as we can the experiences that the students will have from personnel to equipment to things like electronic health record. I mean, it's just also important. The more that we can do to make it realistic in the simulation setting, the better our students are going to do when they get to the hospital. They'll be more comfortable and they'll be more confident and they'll be better nurses. Yeah, thanks for that, Beth, very much. Jessica, Kevin, thank you all for joining. Hopefully you had fun. Thank you for joining Trends and Tensions, presented by BHDP for this episode, Preparing Future Nurses Through Innovative Design, with Dr. Beth Schultz, Director of Manchester University's Nursing Program, Kevin Denman, Lead Architect at BHDP, and Jessica Sears, Architect at BHDP. If you appreciate what you have heard, please rate, subscribe, and give us a review. I am Brian Trainer, your host, and I hope you'll join us for another episode of Trends and Tensions to see what topics drive design.